Fontana rolling out the right, looking toward the end zone, throwing under pressure, throws his pass. Caught by Clark. Clark got a touchdown. Troy Clark has it. It's a touchdown for the 49ers. You're now listening to the 4th and Gold Podcast with Javi and Matt. Welcome to the 4th and Gold Podcast. It is week two. The 49ers are in Youngstown, Ohio right now, uh, preparing for their week two matchup with the Cincinnati Bengals. We do have a special guest today. Uh, but first, let's bring in Matt. Matt, what is going on? We are 1-0. The Kyle Shanahan era is the first time having a winning record. You, you stole my you stole my thunder there. I was going to say I'm basking oh, in the sorry. glory of Kyle Shanahan's first winning record. Um, I've been I've been living the dream here this week, man. It's been it's been fun. It, it, for once, I'm not super stressed out going into week two. Um, a little little more worried about the Bengals than I thought I would be after their successes in week one, but still feeling pretty confident, ready to go. Definitely, definitely, I hear that. We do have Jake of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Uh, Jake, how are you feeling about your Bengals right now? You know what? Before the season started, Joe and I went through the entire schedule. Joe is my co-host on the Locked On Bengals podcast, and we had Seattle down as a loss for sure. Joe thought Seattle would cover. I thought it would be a little bit closer. Having watched the game, obviously, I thought the Bengals should have easily probably won that game, if not for a few silly mistakes. So I feel a lot better about the team now than I did before we knew what the defense was going to be. We had a pretty good idea that the offense was a good marriage with Andy Dalton, that the offense should work. I'm a little bit concerned about the running game, still concerned about the offensive line, feel a lot better about the defense than I did before last week. But I am afraid, more so now than I was a couple weeks ago, of the San Francisco defensive line, especially with Nick Bosa (laughs) being healthy out there. Yeah, yeah, so let's let's go ahead and start with the running game. Um, the big story out of Cincinnati this week, Joe Mixon. He 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 tweaked an ankle, correct? Yeah, he's got an ankle sprain, according to the reports. I don't know how severe it will be. He did not practice today, being Tuesday, depending on when you're listening. Sorry, Wednesday, depending on when you're listening to this. But he is questionable right now. It's not a severe ankle sprain. The MRI came back better than expected, apparently. So he is probably a true questionable right now to go that's a that's a big big question mark uh joe mixon is you know he in my personal opinion you know coming out of oklahoma he was going to be you know in the discussion for a top 10 back and i think he's lived up to a lot of that um i i do want to say thank you for joining us you know doing this with us uh today the the Niners are coming off a road win. They haven't had back-to-back road wins in a long time. They haven't had a road win on the East Coast in a long time. They finally got that last week. Um, the matchup that a lot of folks are concerned about is the offensive line for the Cincinnati Bengals versus the defensive line of the 49ers. Um, I know that the Cordy Glenn got a little banged up, and then you guys lost uh, Jonah Williams before the season started. 
Uh, how are you feeling about that matchup going into week two? Not great. Uh, there's been a cascade <laughs> of injuries on the offensive line for Cincinnati. For one, Clint Bowling had to retire because of medical condition mm-hmm. that was not worth him continuing to play football with his young family. Mm-hmm. Cordy Glenn's been in the concussion protocol for three or four weeks now, which is the longest I can ever remember a player being in the concussion protocol. Zach Taylor's called him truly day-to-day. We'll see if he manages to get back to practice this week. I'd say if he can get out of the protocol, he'll play. Because even a half-in-shape Cordy Glenn is probably going to be better than Andre Smith. Although I will say Andre Smith, who has played, I think, at a total of a cumulative three or four games at left tackle in his career. He's a career right tackle. Held his own against Jadavion Clowney a little bit better than I thought he might. Clowney did make an impact on the game, as he should, against a subpar tackle. And Andre Smith, at this point in his career, is a backup tackle for sure. I thought that he was a little bit better than, than I expected. That being said, Nick Bosa made that left tackle. Who is it? Dotson for Tampa? I believe yeah, so, yeah. He, yeah. He, they, yeah, he Dotson didn't look very good. made Dotson look terrible, especially on a couple inside moves. And I think Jameis Winston has a little bit more evasiveness in the pocket than Dalton does. Winston is mm-hmm. going to make more mistakes, and we saw that. We saw a few in- interceptions, and as particularly uh, Witherspoon's, right? The, the pick six yep. is entirely credited to the defensive line. That's a screenplay that Winston just mm-hmm. can't come close to his target. He's trying to get rid of the ball, and it's an easy touchdown. Dalton isn't prone to those kinds of mistakes, but those are going to turn into sacks instead, right? And I don't think that the tackles are going to be any better in Cincinnati. What might be better is the scheme. We saw the Bengals neutralize a lot of the Seattle pass rush. And again, to reiterate, San Francisco's defensive line is better than the Seattle defensive line we saw last week with Ziggy Ansah and Jaron Reed not playing. But that that still is something that this offense is designed to mitigate through the use of play action, through the use of jet sweep motion kind of stuff, and a lot of package plays, run pass option stuff. I think it'll still be an issue, don't get me wrong. But the offense, as long as they're not behind or forced to throw, is equipped to deal with a pass rush. Yeah, we saw a lot of the the the, the kind of gadget plays, not to say gadget plays, but your jet sweeps and, and your reverses and stuff really work well against the 49ers defense in preseason. Uh, a lot of times they were over-pursuing and they were getting you know way off balance when it came to staying in your lane on defense. Um, so I think if, if, if you know, Zach Taylor, first-year head coach for the Cincinnati Bengals, can step up and he can scheme that up, because, you know, he's part of the McVay tree of of coaching stuff because i guess he 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 was his barista at some point it seems like that's who they're hiring everybody now um but you know if he can scheme that up and keep them off balance they'll do pretty well um the player that stood out for me for the Bengals last week was was uh john ross and he, he finally looks like he remembered he was a first round pick do you think this is kind of like he's turned a corner now or do you think he's kind of that was kind of just a flash in the pan week one I think what we got from John Ross in week one is not what you'll get from John Ross over the course of the season, because that would mean that he's going off for 2,200 yards and 32 touchdowns. (laughs) I don't think anyone expects that, but I think that he has turned a corner to some degree. I'm, I'm withholding judgment for now, and I'm going to wait and see how he does over the course of a few games. But what we needed to see from John Ross was the ability to make plays and be relied upon as a primary target, especially with A.J. Green being out. One Mm -hmm. of his touchdowns, I think, was a fluke. I think that the Seattle safety misread the ball out of Andy Dalton's hands. The one going into the half, it's it's essentially a Hail Mary throw. It's, It's a throw that should have probably been intercepted, but ended up going for a touchdown. 
But outside of that, I think John Ross looked good. The drops are still an issue, and he didn't have that issue at Washington. So it's something that has been peculiar to both Joe, my co-host, and myself since he's been a pro. But it looks like it's just going to be an issue for him until he buys himself a jugs machine. That being said, it looks <laughs> like Zach Taylor has figured out how to use his speed to get him some free releases. And uh, the next-gen stats, they keep track of yards of separation at the catch point, right? And John Ross's yards of separation at the catch point compared to last year was like double in this game. So small sample oh, yeah. size, but it looks like the coaching staff knows how to get John <clears throat> Ross open. Yeah, you know, two weeks in a row, John Ross and the, the uh, Cincinnati offense are going to face his second year free safety. Tedrick Thompson, um, in my personal opinion, hasn't developed the way I thought he would out of Colorado for the Seahawks. Uh, but the Niners have a guy, Tavarius Moore, uh, who played fairly well against Tampa. Um, you know, and to your point about John Ross getting that separation and, and make, you know, the play call triggering the free safety, hopefully Tavarius Moore doesn't bite on that. Um, I wanted to flip it over to the other side on, on the, the Bengals defense. Um, the matchup that I, I'm, I'm most looking forward to is the George Kittle uh, matchup with the safeties uh, for the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, this could be, to me personally, the, the Bengals in recent history haven't had success uh, against tight ends. Is this a bad matchup for you guys going into this game? I think George Kittle's a bad matchup for everybody in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> so that that in and of itself is an issue, I think. Um the Bengals aren't uniquely equipped to deal with George Kittle, but we are seeing from the Bengals a new defense this year. For the first mm-hmm. time in maybe Bengals history, or maybe at least since Dick LeBeau was the head coach in the 90s. In the 90s? Doesn't matter. Uh, they, they rolled out <laughs> uh, essentially a 3-4. And their version of the 3-4 involves... Five defensive linemen, so Bengals fans are calling it a five-two-three-four, whatever it is. It's a it's a two it's a it's a one gap, three-four, yeah. which is what people run when they run three-fours, and that's just the base. And I imagine from what I saw, you guys put uh, who's that little receiver you drafted this year? Uh, the one last year we drafted him last year was uh, Richie James from Middle Tennessee. He's the smallest receiver we have. What about Debo? Is Debo Samuel a 49 Oh yeah, yeah, yeah Debo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. Yeah, I, I saw that small, picture where so they I'm had assuming... Debo Samuel lined up as a tight end. Yeah, positionless football. Yeah, that's, uh, that's where we're going. Yeah, so I imagine Kyle Shanahan is going to try to keep the Bengals in their base defense, which previously would have concerned me. That would not have been something that I would have felt very good about because the Bengals have two linebackers that really should be on the field at any given time. And they have four, they, they had four linebackers total on the roster until they signed the guy that was on your team in the preseason, Leroy Reynolds, I think, and, Mm -hmm. and released Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Jordan Willis. But this defense that they're rolling out now enables them to keep their best players on the field, which are their defensive linemen. And so they get Sam Hubbard out there and Carl Lawson out there on the edge. And, it only puts two linebackers on the field. The Bengals also showed the willingness to go no linebackers a couple times when they rolled out five defensive linemen and three safeties along with three corners. So they're doing some things a little bit differently, and we don't really fully know what Lou Anarumo's defense is going to look like yet, but the early returns are pretty positive. The The pass rush obviously was great against Seattle. I think the San Francisco offensive line, particularly at tackle is a little bit better. Your tackles, Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey, both look like very solid, if not better than solid 
starting tackles in the NFL, which is a luxury that I'm quite jealous of and we haven't had in Cincinnati <laughs> for a few years now. But the defensive line for the Bengals should still at least cause some havoc. Uh, if, if the preseason and last week were any indication at all. But George Kittle, yeah, if he gets a one-on-one matchup with a safety or a linebacker for the Bengals, you can forget about it. The Bengals really should leave their corners on islands probably with your wide receivers because I think that's where the Bengals' strength Mm -hmm. in terms of the defense-offense matchup is. They have good enough corners to deal with the wide receivers most of the time, I think. And and just dedicate a lot of attention to to George Kittle. And the running game also is something that the Bengals defended quite well. So I'm not as worried about the San Francisco running game, although it sounds like you guys have a stable of burners back there that could pop one off at any time. Uh, so those words might come back to bite me. But George Kittle is, is a huge mm-hmm. threat. Yeah, well, talking about the running backs, I mean, you the Bengals aren't going to see Tevin Coleman. So he he twisted an ankle in the in the Buccaneers game, and he's out for at least a couple games that they're going to shelf him. They're not going to throw him on, on IR designated to return. But that means you're looking at, as of right now, the only two active running backs on the roster are Matt Breida and, and Raheem Mostert. Mostert's popped. He, he's looked really good in limited action. Uh, Breida couldn't get it going. No one can really get it, the running game going against the Buccaneers. Um, their defensive line was manhandling uh, the 49ers, particularly up the middle, and was really disrupting their run game. Um, I think Geno Atkins is going to be tough for for Lincoln Tomlinson and Weston Richburg and, and Mike Person to handle. Uh, up the middle as, as a D tackle, I think he's going to be able to make some make some waves, and I think for the 49ers, the key is getting the running game going for them, because that opens up play action rollout, and that's when you can get Kittle in one on one situations where you leak him, leak him out on on a drag or a a wheel route or something. Um, I just want to so jump the, in with one note here, yeah. real quick. You look at the Pro Football Focus interior defensive lineman rankings right now. Cincinnati's guys, I think, are 2, 3, and 26 for their interior defenders. <laughs> and I think Sam <laughs> Hubbard's right around. He's in the top echelon, top five at least. I haven't looked for a couple of days, and I know their grades change a little bit as they go through the week. But Sam Hubbard was on their team of the week. So the defensive line in general, quite strong. Of course, led by Geno Atkins, the best Hall of Fame candidate on the defensive side of the ball in Cincinnati in mm-hmm. quite, a, quite a long time. But... Uh, I just uh, just wanted to give a shout out to Andrew Billings, who had an exceptional game on limited snaps in Seattle. He had 19 snaps, but played very well. And Ryan Glasgow, who uh, also a, a kind of base kind of defender, also had a really nice game, especially against the run uh, in in Seattle. Yeah, yeah, no. So I think they're going to be able to give uh, the 49ers interior offensive line fits, and I think uh, them staying in Ohio is smart. So they're not traveling huge long distances you know obviously the owners have have ties in your and in youngstown um but you were talking about the corners and how you think they're a good matchup against the wide receivers uh the 49ers have a little bit of an issue at wide receiver consistent play has been hard to come by is is the nice way to put it um some drop passes not being able to get open not being able to to get the ball to the second level um once they do get the ball um what matchup are you looking forward to most when it comes to one of your corners versus one of the wide receivers? I don't really know who the wide receivers on the 49ers are. And the one that I did know is not playing. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, they've got, they've got John Ross's is college teammate, Dante Pettis. He's been having some issues. He only played two snaps um, against, that's the one I knew. Against yeah. the Buccaneers. Um, you, you know, Marquise Goodwin burner. 
You're looking sure. Debo Samuel. He can make some moves. Uh, Kendrick Bourne, Richie James. You know, it's it's not an impressive list. And, and as, as, as excited as 49ers fans were in in the preseason and training camp, I think it's kind of come to fruition that they need a true number one guy. Uh, so, you know, when it comes to the Bengals' corners, do you think they're going to be able to just shut these guys down? I mean, Marquise Goodwin is always a deep threat, right? So I'm not going to say they, they could shut him down, but they certainly have the capability to do so. The Bengals secondary, I think, has been underrated for a while. Last year, the defense was bad, and there's no arguing about it, but I don't think that's really the fault of the secondary. And with William Jackson, who, fair enough, had a tough week one. He missed some tackles and was had a pretty tough time in run defense, got beat by DK Metcalf once, got beat by Tyler Lockett once. Those aren't the kinds of names we're talking about in San Francisco. So generally, I feel pretty good about the corners, and, and this is the whole list of them. But if, say, Tony McRae gets on the field, that's the Bengals' backup slot corner. That's a matchup you might want to pick on. But I don't know how much the San Francisco 49ers are going to come out with three wide receivers either because you're going to really want to highlight George Kittle and keep the Bengals as heavy as they can to, to get George Kittle the matchups you're after, I would imagine. So maybe that's not what happens, but that's just what I would guess. Yeah, the Niners had success last week when they ran one wide receiver sets. Um, you know, uh, they, they found more success that way with, you know, just Debo um, out there in Kittle and then, of course, check and then, you know, running with two, two three tight ends. Um, with this matchup, you know, the corners and the wide receivers, I, I we'll see. I think, you know, this is going to be, this. like I said earlier, this would have to be the George Kittle game. Um, what, the, the thing that you brought up a little bit ago that, that – kind of opened me up here was you said 5-2 and that's a that's a dangerous combination having Carl Lawson and Sam Hubbard on the same side rushing the passer I think that could be an, you know advantageous for the Bengals uh going into this game because me personally I've, I've been saying it for weeks the Niners need to add another guard um but Sam Hubbard and Carl Lawson were both guys that I wanted in the draft and the Bengals got them both um <laughs> do you is Carl Carl Lawson for being a fourth fourth round pick yeah that that was that's such a steal and such a value. Um, I didn't I didn't get to watch the whole Seattle game. Where where do you see him? How do you feel he's 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 progressing and, and developing? And do you think he has a a good matchup versus the Niners this week? Uh, he's an end, right? So that means he's going against Staley and McGlinchey, and I like both of those guys at tackle. I I love Carl Lawson as an edge rusher, but he hasn't necessarily been great against good tackles in his mm. career. He could certainly make noise and he looked amazing in the preseason and he did beat a couple of good tackles in the preseason. Who is it that I'm thinking of? They were playing the giants in week three. So that's the guy that Nate Solder is the left tackle for the giants. Mm-hmm. And Carl Lawson yeah. made Nate Solder look awful, just awful. And so he'll go against Joe Staley on the left side. I'm not saying Joe Staley is going to have a terrible game, but Carl Lawson certainly has the ability to beat any tackle in the league. That being said, you you know, you have good tackles out there. It's not maybe Jason Peters, but they're good tackles. Definitely. Yeah. So let's, let's jump to the quarterbacks. I mean, we haven't really talked about either one so far. We've talked about pretty much all their weapons, who they got up front and who's rushing at them. But when it comes to the quarterbacks, Andy Dalton last week, 35 of 51, 418 yards and two touchdowns. Do you think that's the kind of, I mean, obviously 418 yards and two touchdowns is, is, is a great game from a quarterback, but do you think the Bengals want to be in a spot where Andy Dalton is dropping back 51 times a game? I don't think they care. 
I think the reason they did it last week is because Seattle did to the Bengals what New England did to the Rams in the Super Bowl. And that's they put six guys flat on the line of scrimmage and let Bobby Wagner sit in the middle of the field. And the Bengals could not get a blocker to Bobby Wagner. And when you do that and you have six guys on the line of scrimmage, it means you can't run a stretch play, right? You can't run an outside zone because those, those holes are going to be plugged. You don't have enough guys to block their guys on the line of scrimmage. You try to run up the middle. Well, now you have to get a combo block on one of those defensive linemen and release your center or your guard to Bobby Wagner, the best linebacker in the league. So, I mean, you're asking a lot, I think, to get the running game going when there's a blueprint to stopping that kind of running attack. And we'll see if Cincinnati makes any adjustments heading into the San Francisco game because I think everyone in the league now knows this could work, especially because the Bengals' offensive line even more so than I'm concerned about their pass protection, they cannot seem to run block for the life of them. So Mm. I I definitely am concerned about the running game. I don't remember what your initial question was. that got me on that tangent. Sorry. No, it's just, are you all comfortable running or, you know, having Andy Dalton drop back 51 times? Right, right, right. That's right. Uh, You don't care. So I'm with it. I like it. Yeah. I think the reason is that Zach Taylor sees this and he's like, okay, we can't run the ball there. Let's take these throws. And if you go back and you watch closely, I think that, like I said earlier, there's a lot of package plays in this offense where the, the offensive line is going to go to run block, but they're, all three of their receivers are running routes. So Dalton's sitting there. He's reading somebody. I'm not sure yet. I haven't gotten all the way through the all 22 yet. That was <laughs> something I was supposed to do today, but here I am. And uh, at least a few plays in the first couple quarters – Dalton pulls the ball out of Mixon's belly and and throws a quick slant or whatever it is. So they're using these run pass options, package plays, whatever you want to call them, as an extension of the running game. And there's a lot of that in this offense. For the early part of the game, Dalton was completing a lot of passes, but they're, you know, five, six yards and they're hitches or they're slants. And there's not much yards after catch happening. Later in the game, they opened it up a little bit, started taking some shots downfield. I mean, I, I tweeted at the time, I didn't have jet sweep motion play action flea flicker or sorry not play action jet sweep motion flea flicker wheel route to john ross off the jet sweep action for a touchdown didn't have it on my bingo sheet didn't know that play existed (laughs) the Bengals ran it twice the first time it didn't work because seattle crashed on the run so hard mixon couldn't pitch it back the second time the Bengals made an adjustment and i think they chipped the crashing defensive or the crashing uh linebacker on the edge they were able to get the pitch back, but um, looks like Zach Taylor's willing to be creative, willing to take what the defense gives him. Seattle was stubborn. They stayed in base for the whole game. And so the Bengals passed the whole game. And yeah, Dalton was 35 for 51. He had at least three balls dropped and had four more, at least four more. I think it was six balls batted at the line of scrimmage, including a should have been touchdown to Joe Mixon on a screen. I don't know if you saw the Cleveland Tennessee game, but the, the, little screenplay they ran to Derrick Henry that he scored a touchdown on. Bengals ran essentially mm-hmm. the exact same play. And Jadavion Clowney being the freak he has jumped about 13 feet in the air and got a hand on it. But that would have been a touchdown for the Bengals too. So I think that Zach Taylor knows how to call the right plays. I've got a limited sample size for that, but I'm impressed by his first game. Yeah, I, I thought he I thought he did pretty well. You know, and I... I I don't know. I don't. I guess I just don't know what to expect from the Bengals. Um, partially because I'm not too high on the Seahawks secondary. You know, this is not Earl Thomas and uh, 
Byron Maxwell, Richard Sherman, and, and no. Cam Chancellor back there. It's a bunch of young guys, um, and we you know we'll see. And the same thing same thing applies for the Niners though. The only thing is they have two veterans on their defense with Jaquiski Tard and Richard Sherman, and then the two young guys would be Akella Witherspoon, third year guy, and then Tavares more second year guy. So um, in the passing game, you know it's something. The guy that concerns me the most is Tyler Boyd. You know, moving the sticks, keeping the Niners defense on the on the field long, and you know with Jimmy Garoppolo. You know the concern with him is he's out of rhythm. So if you if you have long sustained offensive drives, you know you're keeping Jimmy off the field. Um, I thought Jimmy this week didn't play his best game. We you know I said it last week he was shaky, shaky at best. Um, and you know that's that's where that's where I am with him. Did you have a chance, have a chance to take a look at Jimmy Garoppolo? I haven't yet, but I heard he threw five interceptions in a row in a practice or something. That was a big <laughs> yeah. internet meme. So I'm hoping he throws five <laughs> interceptions in a row this week. <laughs> no, if he does that, Niners Twitter will melt. And... <laughs> I think I think the um, Bengals might need him to make mistakes to, to win the game, though. And so that's going to have to come from pressure, right? Just staying on the theme of quarterbacks. The Bengals do have some ball skills in the secondary. Jesse Bates and William Jackson in particular, the two guys that I would watch in terms of getting their hands on the ball. I wouldn't be as worried about guys like B.W. Webb and Drake Kirkpatrick who don't have a ton of track record at piling up interceptions. Um, so, so I think that you'll see the Bengals try to create some mistakes with pressure. And if, if Garoppolo knows where he's going with the ball and they don't fool him, then they could be in him for a long day. But if they get pressure home and, They've been doing some weird, interesting stuff, rolling coverages after the snap. Maybe they can trick Garoppolo and keep him off rhythm, as you mentioned. But yeah, Tyler Boyd is is a significant weapon for Cincinnati. I think I would like to see him use a little bit more downfield, but Andy Dalton's very comfortable throwing to him, and he has a massive catch radius on third downs. Mm -hmm. And you haven't mentioned Tyler Eifert yet, and Tyler Eifert is currently healthy. Mm -hmm. Um he doesn't look like he did when he was one of the best tight ends in the league in 2015, the last time he was truly healthy, or even at the start of last year before he had another freak injury. I think he dislocated his ankle. The guy's been terribly unlucky, but he's still healthy out there. He still has very reliable hands, and he's been used similarly to Tyler Boyd in, in that they're using him on third downs and as a let's-get-that-first-down kind of target. Instead of using him as much in the seam and on deep stuff, which is something that I'd still like to see, but maybe they're holding some things in the pocket too, right? One of their big advantages going into Seattle was no one had any film on him. And I think they put a lot of their screen screen game on film, but I'm not sure how much we saw from the rest of the playbook. Yeah, no, I think you've hit the head, the nail on the head there. Um, they do have some significantly good weapons uh, on the Bengals. And I'm a big Eifert and, and Tyler Boyd guy. Eifert, again, if he can stay healthy, he's one of those guys that can really make some noise. Um, but before we let you go, we want to get your prediction on the game. So we want to know, how does this one shake out? Yeah, I'm not a prediction guy is a thing, but I'll give you one because <laughs> you're asking for it. So the way I do predictions <laughs> is usually I say, if these things happen, then this. And if these things happen, then this other thing. But since you're not asking for me to give you a conditional statement, I said yesterday we have Brian Peacock on the podcast doing our crossover Wednesday on Locked On Bengals, and he asked us for predictions too. Joe and Brian have Seattle, sorry, San Francisco beating Cincinnati on the road, and I'm sticking with my preseason prediction of this being a close win for Cincinnati in the range of 24-21, 27-24, something close. It's going to be a really hot day, but... 
it's going to come down to which quarterback plays better, I think. And if the Bengals can stay on schedule in dictating to the Seattle, uh, sorry, I keep being on Seattle because I've been talking about it for four weeks. If they can keep <laughs> San Francisco in the looks that they know what they're doing and Andy Dalton knows where the ball's going before he takes a snap. If they're stuck drop back passing behind the chains, you know, being too one dimensional, then I don't like their chances anymore. But I think it's going to come down to quarterback play. So you got a what you got a uh, one possession Bengals victory, something like that is where I'm at okay. right now. Yeah, <laughs> okay, it works for me. You know, it's uh, we had Trevor Sikkim on last week. He stuck with uh, he stuck with his guys too. Week one optimism. Y'all played really good week one. Week two optimism. I understand you're playing at home, home opener. I get it. I get it. I, if I was if I was a Bengals guy, I would probably predict a win here too. The 49ers haven't proven they can do it on a week to week basis and. You know, shit like we like we opened up with this is Shanahan's first ever winning record as the head coach of the of the Forty ers Oh, wow. Okay, didn't realize that was. The, I mean, I guess it makes sense, right? Jimmy G's been hurt, but I, I just against against Tampa, you got those two pick sixes. Those were obvious. That's the margin mm-hmm. of victory, right? And so that's mm-hmm. why I say it comes down to I think quarterback play and by extension offensive line play, trench play generally, right? Because the trenches are going to have the biggest impact on these quarterbacks in this Correct. game. And so how all that shakes out, you know, that's going to determine the game. I don't feel strongly that the Bengals are going to win. I wouldn't be shocked at any outcome, really, because Mm -hmm. I still don't really know what this Bengals team is. But I do know they were nine and a half point dogs on the road in Seattle, where Seattle has won like 191 to 67 in their last X home games in September. And the Bengals should have won that game. So that's that's really why I'm feeling good about it. I got you. I got you. Well, we appreciate the prediction and we appreciate you joining us, Jake. Go ahead and plug yourself here again so the folks can know where to find you. Yeah, I'm Jake Lisko. I am the co-host of the Locked On Bengals podcast with Joe Goodberry, who you might know from The Athletic. You can find me on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL. You can talk all your smack. Tell me how wrong I am <laughs> and I'll get real upset and, and sad about it probably. <laughs> No, our listeners are pretty. Uh, they're pretty cool. No one's too super aggressive about anything. <laughs> and you'll um, have a hard time making me sad on Twitter, but bring it. All right. So we want to thank Jake from the Locked On Bengals one more time. We appreciate him coming on with us today. Uh, Matt and I are going to discuss the keys to victory in this 49ers Bengals Week Two um, episode. The Niners need this win, in my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Starting two and zero, going into the home opener versus Steelers could be very, very big. The Steelers got to play the Seahawks, and the Steelers are usually really good at home. Um, so they could be coming into, you know, San Francisco at 1-1 one one or 0-2. And, and I don't like the odds of us being 2-0 and versus them being 0-2 or 1-1. One and, one and we, you know, we're down 1-2. to two. You know, our record's 1-2. And then the, you know, Steelers come in and kick our ass. Um, so that, those things kind of concern me there. So the Niners need to get this win. And I think the biggest the biggest thing is the pass rush. Uh, you're, you heard it here with Jake. That's the biggest concern, the interior offensive line, or just the offensive line in general versus the 49ers defensive line um, is going to be something to watch. Um, I would, you know, I can ease, I can see the Niners, you know, creating a lot of pressure, making Andy Dalton uncomfortable. But at the same time, the Bengals do have some receivers that can get behind our guys. Um, so it, it's, it's uh, there's a little bit of a give and take here type situation going on with San Francisco and, and Cincinnati. 
Yeah, with the Bengals' deep threats, the the key to the victory for the 49ers is going to be able being able to get pressure without blitzing. I mean, yeah. we're just talking four man rush: Bosa, Ford, Solomon, Buck, Eric Armstead, Armstead, whoever. And Eric Armstead, who by the way played a fantastic game in Week One, and I don't think he's getting mm-hmm. enough credit for that because he was a monster in that game. Um, you know, Solomon Thomas only played twelve snaps, and it's because Armstead was so dominant when he was in. So, you know, those front four guys really have to have to get home. And, and you know, we heard that Jaron Reed and, and Ziggy Ansah didn't play for Seattle last week, which I think you take those two players away. It makes San Francisco's front line significantly better than, yes. than Seattle's w- without those two players. If those guys were getting home with pretty much just Jadavion Clowney, the Niners got to hit home. You know, Nick Bosa didn't practice today. Uh, his, his ankle is a little sore, and today being Wednesday. Um a little sore, but I think you know. I think this is kind of ideal. I think what Nick Bosa needs to be his rookie year is a pass rush specialist, and it just allows him to pin his ears back, play fast, and just be that one guy. That Correct. his only job is to go get the quarterback, just like we saw with Alden Smith during during his Correct. rookie year. Yep, we talked about that weeks ago. You know, use him in a situational pass rush, um, and you know, if you need to put Solomon inside, move Armstead outside, make the proper adjustment on the defensive line. Um, so keys to vic- that's that's the one key to victory. The Niners need to that's get to Andy one. Dalton, um, and I think they can. With the we saw the pass rush get home a lot uh, versus the Bucks and forcing some errant throws by Jameis. We may not see those errant throws from Andy Dalton, but those can be sacks turning turn you know turn a second and three into third and ten. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Making making third and down really long for the Bengals. Um, the you know the second key to victory. To me, is Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo has to play better, and I think getting a full game's reps under his belt um, hopefully knocks some more rust off. You know, I understand Jimmy's coming off an ACL injury, and I don't think he played as bad as everyone's making it out to be. You know, with this whole Nick Mullins starting over Jimmy Garoppolo nonsense that's floating around on the internet, um, mm. I'm not buying any of it. Nope. Um, it just doesn't make any sense, especially with the amount of money you're paying him. Um, Jed York would m- most likely be involved <laughs> in some type of say, "Hey, whoa, 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 we're paying this guy what?" You know, and and then I would have to start questioning Kyle Shanahan on his quarterback evaluations um, because then you're you're looking at drafting C.J. Beathard, picking Brian Hoyer, uh, choosing Nick Mullins over Jimmy Garoppolo. There's something that you got to start questioning the guy. Um, I get yeah. it. Kyle Shanahan's been a stubborn. Uh, offensive coordinator, stubborn coach. You know he likes things a certain way, and I understand. You know from what I understand, based on the quarterbacks he's had, he likes that robot. He doesn't like the off-schedule plays. Jimmy Garoppolo excelled in this offense in 2017 because of some of the off-schedule plays. Let the man make yeah. some off-schedule plays. You saw him run uh, versus the Bucks. You know, granted it was called back, but the man can move a little. Let the man move a little bit. Get him out of the pocket. Get him in rhythm. Those things are there. Kyle Shanahan, if you are worth the seven and a half million that they're paying you. Make the adjustment to your quarterback, not the other way around. The great coaches do those things. Um, sorry for the rant there, but Jimmy Garoppolo has to play better. The wide receivers have to play better. That connection has to happen this week. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I don't want to agree with you on everything, so I'm not going to, because that was my number two key to the game too. But you keep stealing my thunder here, so I'm going to switch. Sorry, up. I'm going to say the compliment. No, you're good. You're good, man. So I'm going to switch up and say the compliment to Jimmy Garoppolo is they got to get the run game going because they could not do that in Tampa Bay, and that, I think, killed them because Kyle Shanahan's offense is built around establishing the run 
and get it. And we saw it on that one drive where they ran the ball, ran the ball, ran the ball four times in a row. All of a sudden, they run a play action, and they got the whole team biting. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. I think they need to get the run game going. You know, they're going to be without Tevin Coleman. Obviously, McKinnon's on IR. You know, they're not going to be in Tampa Bay again. I think this is going to be a big advantage. Matt Breida had to leave in the first half to go get an IV because he yeah. was just so dehydrated and exhausted playing in in Tampa Bay. Now, I know Jake said that it's going to be hot in Cincinnati, but it ain't going to be Tampa Bay hot. Correct. So I think they're going to be they're gonna they're gonna rely on on Matt Breida, Raheem Mostert, and most likely Jeff Wilson at this point because they haven't made an outside hire yet. So I have to believe that Jeff Wilson's going to be the guy they're going to call up. Uh, Shanahan was very complimentary of him in, in a press conference yesterday. So you guys think those are going to be the three running backs they're going to be going, and I think getting them moving and opening up the rest of the playbook and opening up play action and opening up rollouts is, is going to be the key for the the offense to move the ball up and down the field, especially with how the the Bengals linebackers aren't super great. They're okay, but they're not great. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, to go to go with that, then, you know, my third key to the victory um, is going to have to be Lakin Tomlinson and Weston Richburg. I know um, Mike Person graded out really high on PFF, and PFF is not the Bible. You know, if you're a PFF guy, I apologize, but – to me personally, it's not the Bible and, and, and the end-all, be-all when it comes to football. The film mm-hmm. shows a couple different things. Um, Lakin and um, Richburg struggled against Vita Vea and, and Ndamukong Ndamuk- Sue. You're playing a guy, Geno Atkins is really good. Carlos Dunlap is really good. Sam Hubbard, young player, pretty good. Carl Lawson, also pretty good. The interior offensive line has to you know, push these guys back to help out your key to victory, the run game. You need... Mm-hmm. Uh, Better, you know, run defense. They were getting stifled last week against the Bucks. You know, granted, maybe the Bucks were pretty good. You know, we we have we keep saying how bad Jimmy Garoppolo played. Maybe maybe the Bucks just have a decent defense. Um, I think but, they do. Yeah, and you know, there's there's an advantage here, um, as like we were speaking with Jake. You know, they have a you know they have a good five guys on their defensive line, but their depth isn't there. The Niners have you know their nine ten defensive linemen, so there's the opposite opposite, opposite there, but. Uh, Lakin Tomlinson and Weston Richburg have to improve their play uh, for this team's run game to get going, like you said. So that's my third key to victory. Lakin Tomlinson and Weston Richburg have to play better. Um, I'm going to go super generic for my third one, and it's limit splash plays. Whether it's it's John Ross beating you deep, whether it's if Mixon, if he plays, or Giovanni Bernard, or whoever's running the ball, do not give up 20-yard runs. Do not give up 30-yard passes. I think they did a very good job against uh, of that against the Buccaneers. And I think that was the biggest difference in the defense. It is no longer where they're being gashed for a quarter of the entire field, repeatedly. Yeah. Um, you know They didn't get to third and 10, and then all of a sudden they're giving up. 18, 19, 20 yards, whatever it is. Um, now, so for the that one, one thing time. they have to do to get rid of that is throw that stupid prevent, line everybody up, seven dudes back, 17 yards off the line of scrimmage. They need to throw that the F out. That's got to go because Salah's done that a couple times. It's terrible. Yeah. I hate it. I hate it. So you went on a rant. I'm going on a rant. Go ahead. Awful. Rant away, buddy. That's awful. But, no, they got. They just got to limit They just gotta limit the splash plays. So if they can keep everyone – because, like, even Jake just – Jake said it. John Ross's second touchdown shouldn't have been a touchdown. It was a last-second kind of a Hail Mary thing. You can't be giving those kind of touchdowns up. This team isn't good enough to survive doing that. Mm-hmm. They've got to limit those plays. So that's my third key. Limit splash plays. Keep everything in front of you. 
and man, just back to my first one, I want to reiterate, get after Andy Dalton. Get after the quarterback because it's easily the most important thing they can do this week. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, you know, for all the, the talk about the Niners secondary being the weakest link, um, the four, I don't know if anyone watched the DeForest Buckner mic'd up. He said no weak links. And the Niners secondary played fairly well against Tampa. I, I, I would assume they can play similarly against the, um, the Bengals. Um, there are, you know, the Bengals have their own playmakers, of course, but Akella Witherspoon, mm-hmm. we spoke about him during the offseason. He showed up like he showed up in the second half of the the season last year, um, and he's out of a different mindset. You know, he playing with confidence. That interception was big for him. Um, the Niners had three picks last week. Granted, the pass rush was tied to most of them, but that's also what this that's what the Niners paid for. You 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 draft a bunch of first rounders and pay for another first rounder with D four. That's what you're gonna get. So this is hopefully a, a continued a continued uh, theme. Maybe not interceptions. Maybe just forcing bad throws. You know, forcing these guys in the third and mm-hmm. long, second and longs. You don't always have to have a pick or a pick six. But just forcing Aaron throws, just bad throws, or making somebody throw it away, you know, you're getting the offense, the Cincinnati offense in third long situations. That's that's big. Um, but at prediction time, um, you want to go first or I go first? I'll go first, but real quick, I want I want to go back and talk about a Keller Witherspoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you see what Mike Evans asked him when they were doing a jersey swap <laughs> after the game? Yes, I did. Did you guys know what plays we were running? <laughs> Is what Mike Evans, an all pro wide receiver, asked a traditionally struggling cornerback that is huge that defense played so well and i think that's that's a huge compliment to them but anyway jumping forward into prediction i think this one's going to be kind of low scoring so uh, i i like the bengals front defensive front i i obviously love the 49ers defensive front i think they're that's the strength of the team i'm gonna go out and say like 23 I want to say like 16 because I think it's going to be a one possession game. So I'm going to go 23-16. I think the 49ers come out 2-0. Um, a lot of field goals. I think it's a lot of bend, don't break on both sides. So I think you're going to see you know, just two touchdowns for the 49ers, one touchdown for the Bengals, but they're both going to kick three field goals. 23-16 is my prediction. Yeah. Um, the, the Bengals played fairly well against Seattle, and I said it earlier. Um, I don't think the Seahawks secondary is as good as it used to be, so that may have been something that mm-hmm. caused some issues. And you know, you heard it from Jake, where the you know, safety kind of fell a bit, and John Ross gets in, you know, gets a deep pass there. I think Tavares Moore is better than Tedrick Thompson from Seattle. Um, I'm like, I'm with you on this. You know, we agree a lot, but you know, we all we both have similar philosophies with football. Um, I think this is gonna be a low scoring game as well. Um, I think it's a three point game, a tough win for the Niners on the road. 20 to 17, um, two touchdowns for Jimmy, both of them going to Kittle. Kittle redeemed himself from last week. Um, mm. And of course, you, we need our field goal, field goals from um, Robbie Gold. So 20 to 17, Niners, the, you know, they have the game spread at one and a half favored uh, for the, the Bengals. I think the Niners pull this out. Winning tough on the road is going to build character for this team. Uh, you saw that uh, in Tampa. You know, with the heat, the conditions, you know, at some point it got really, really close. And then, you know, the defense showed up and closed the game out. And that's that's big. The Niners need these type of wins, these tough wins uh, early to help build character for later on in the season when things get a little bit tougher and the schedule gets harder. These type of games mm-hmm. uh, can be vital going forward. Um, but, yeah, 2017, Niners pull it out, go home, get ready for the Steelers. Um, it doesn't get any easier after that because then you got the bye week and then you got Cleveland. So um, there's uh, there's some... 
there's some hope in San Francisco, and I think the Niners are on the right track. And I, I like the way this team is moving and operating. And another guy that you know that hopefully won't be ejected, Quan Alexander, should be a key mm-hmm. player yeah. in this game. So, uh, 2017, and you said you had 21-16, right? 23, 23-16. So yeah, close games. Jake had it close as well. This should be a very fun game. Uh, it is the early game, so if you're on the West Coast, you got to get up early. I'm in the mid. I'm in the Central, so I'll be up at 11 watching this game. So. I'm on the East Coast. I'll be up for hours, baby. I've been watching the pregame <laughs> shows. I like. I'm gonna be just. I'm gonna be parked, ready to rock and roll. Definitely. But uh, until next, you know, we'll we'll give you the the game recap uh, on Sunday. Uh, followed up, hopefully a Niners win. Uh, if not, you know, we'll still have we'll still be here for you guys to recap the game. Um, I'm Javi. That is Matt for our new listeners. We are getting a lot more listeners. We do appreciate you uh, for sticking with us and constantly engaging. You know, me and Matt are always, you know, willing to engage and talk. There's some shit talk going on, which is cool. We can do that too. <laughs> um, but uh, we do appreciate everyone listening. And again, re- subscribe, rate, review on Apple iTunes. Find the podcast anywhere podcasts are found. Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Follow myself at 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 Javier Vague underscore or follow Matt at Matt Barr underscore, or just follow the podcast at 4th and Gold Podcast on Twitter. Um, Matt, we will be back Sunday night.